Anton Hellman here from EM Cases. Now, as EM Cases has grown and expanded over the past seven years, I've had the pleasure of bringing on some very talented people to help me out. And what you're about to hear is no exception. This best case ever was produced by two all-star residents from Ottawa, Drs. Richard Huang, who has also been doing some great editing on the main episodes, and Rajiv Thavanathan. Now, a few months ago, I was on shift at North York General Hospital, and I bumped into this R3 who struck me as someone who's been in show business or something, quick, witty, and smart. And so I just asked him straight up. And it turns out that Rajiv was a touring musician and even had his own podcast before going into medical school. And I was like, wait, hold on a sec. You're not only a clinical superstar, but a podcaster, and you've never done any medical podcasting? So you can guess what happened next. Anyhow, here's an all-resident best case ever for you. Enjoy. Yes, this is EM Case's best case ever mini podcast series, and I'm your host, Dr. Rajiv Thavanathan. It's my pleasure today to have Dr. Chris Belcher, who's a second-year resident from the University of Kentucky. Uh, he actually did a year of internal medicine before switching to Emerge, uh, so I'd like to think he's got a bigger brain than your average Emerge resident. Uh, and he's here to tell us today about his best case ever. So Chris, why don't you take it away? Hey, this is Chris. I don't know about a greater brain, but I do order a lot more tests than your average emergency medicine resident. So just to set the stage, this was a case that I had a few months ago, and this was about 6 a.m. after a really long, busy night shift. We were in the throes of trauma season here in Lexington. So I had this 25-ish year old female who came in, had a history of cerebral palsy and a history of seizures, came in just with altered mental status. Mom wasn't the best historian, but she said that over the last few days, she just became more and more altered, wasn't eating, wasn't drinking, wasn't doing things like she normally does. And apparently at her baseline, you know, she verbalized what was going on and she would do all of her activities of daily living. She came in with EMS and she was just yelling at the top of her lungs. And by this point, the ER had kind of calmed down. Things were quiet. And so this had really thrown off everyone. When she came in, they hadn't been able to get a finger stick in route. So that was one of the first things we did when she got there. And her finger stick was actually 20, a glucose of 20, which on the American still is profoundly low. What's that kind of convert to on your all scale? Uh, so 20 something would be like 1.1 millimoles a liter, which is, you know, any Canadian will say that's profoundly hypoglycemic. Right. And this was a girl who doesn't use insulin who hadn't been eating well, but that's still profoundly low for an otherwise healthy person. So we gave her an amp of D50, and it didn't really help at all. We thought it was going to be better after that, but it wasn't. And so we got a set of vitals on her, and uh, her initial heart rate was 87. Her blood pressure was 110 over 46. She was satting 96% on room air, was to Kipnik to 23 and it took a little while because we couldn't get an oral temp. We couldn't get her to cooperate. And so we got a rectal temperature of 95 degrees Fahrenheit, which in Celsius is 35 degrees. So she was hypothermic. So we were a little worried about sepsis kind of causing her altered mental status, but we weren't really sure because she looked so well vitals wise and she was, you know, awake and screaming at us. And so on the adult side, we generally don't do the bedside testing. But in this case, we kind of did it because things were slow and we felt like we needed it. 
And so we were kind of shocked by what we found. She had a hemoglobin of 2.1, which on the Canadian scale is 21 grams per deciliter. And her platelets were 65, which is profoundly low for anybody's scale. With a white count of 13.6, which is a little bit high, and then a lactate of 28. Whoa, a lactate of 28. What were you thinking when you saw that? So we weren't really sure what to think. We thought maybe that these bedside labs weren't really working like they were supposed to. Somebody left the tourniquet up or something like that. Or this little girl was profoundly more sick than we thought she was. Her blood did look very thin when they pulled it out. In fact, it looked a little bit like pink Kool-Aid when it came out. But we weren't really uh, sure of those labs. So we got confirmatory labs, which confirmed all of those values, in fact, which made us even more scared. We thought maybe this was profound sepsis with DIC or something like that. And so we treated her with cultures and broad-spectrum antibiotics and all that stuff. And then some of her other labs came back, and she was found to have a creatinine on the U.S. scale of 4.17, which is pretty high, especially for a young, healthy person, and on URL scales, 362. She had an initial pH of 6.18, which is extremely low by anybody's standards, and a bicarb of 3, which is just insane. She was found to have an anion gap of 49, which probably mostly from the lactate, but is scary in anybody's view. And she was also found to have an elevated LDH and a decreased haptoglobin. So she, throughout her next hour of being in the emergency department, became more altered and really wasn't protecting her airway. So we ended up intubating her very cautiously. We ended up putting in a central line, which was kind of dicey given how coagulopathic and thrombocytopenic she was, but it all went fine. And so I'm calling the MICU for admission for this patient because her labs are just all over the place. And I'm kind of scared because I don't really know exactly what's going on. And so I call them like, hey, I really need your help. I don't exactly know what's going on with these patients, but here's the lab values. And as I'm going through them, read them off, and the differential for the hemogram comes through. And then I see the anemia, I see the thrombocytopenia, and then I see schistocytes pop up. And I go, Oh, expletive. I think she has TTP. She has altered mental status. She has anemia. She has thrombocytopenia. She has a bump in her creatinine. The only thing she doesn't have is fever. And they go, well, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's what's going on. And apparently you don't always have to have the Pentad. And that's one of the things I took away from this case was that you don't always have to have the Pentad of TTP to have it. And she had four of the five. She had the anemia, she had the thrombocytopenia, she had the altered mental status, and she had the bump in her creatinine. She didn't really have a fever, but she was hypothermic. So that was kind of interesting. But you don't always have to have that. We actually sent off an Adams TS-13 level when she was in the department, and it came back supremely low, which kind of confirmed the diagnosis of idiopathic TTP, which was really satisfying. Wow, that's an amazing case, Chris, uh, and a great pickup on your part. Again, thinking about that classic pintad for uh, TTP, you get, I, I use the mnemonic FAT-RN. So it's fever, anemia, thrombocytopenia, renal problems, neuro problems. You don't always have to have all five, and it's got to be something that you keep on your differential because the treatment, plasmapheresis and steroids, isn't something that you're necessarily going to give to someone with severe sepsis or septic shock. So, you know, kudos to you, buddy, for picking that up. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's not something we would have given her, but that's what she got on admission to the MICU. And she did exceedingly well. Her platelets recovered. She came around, she was extubated and she did fantastic. 
Yeah. And you know what? Another great takeaway from this case is just a plug for getting help early, even if you have no clue what the diagnosis is. Like some of you, I'm training at an academic center. Residents in particular, I find, can be a bit shy about consulting before they have like a final diagnosis or that consultant's eye view of complete information. And sometimes it's just better for the patient to get another set of eyes in there, another set of hands, another brain helping out nice and early. So Chris, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Everyone else, join us next time when we bring you another best case ever. Until then, keep your stick on the ice. I'm Dr. Rajiv Thavanapi. 